Morning, Church. I'll be reading from selected verses of Genesis chapter 24. Verses 1 to 9. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Verses 22 to 27. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the, ma then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me... The Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Verses 50 to 67. Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down the, to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, 
Let the girl remain with us ten days or so. Then you may go. But he said to them, Do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, Let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, Will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with a man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. Now Isaac had come from Pir Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Victoria, for reading uh, that word so clearly this morning. It is a wonderful passage. Uh, It is uh, gold. So please uh, join with me in prayer as we prepare our hearts to hear God's word this morning. O Lord, our God, we thank you that you are a loving God, a gracious Father, a holy husband, a brother and a friend, that your story of love wraps up those who come to you as we see you have done for Rebecca and so you have done for each one. Help us, Lord, to come before you this morning as you speak to us through your word. Please speak with power. Please speak with that love toward each one of us that we might know you and adore you and run to you and belong to you. That we might be, as it were, the bride of Christ today and always. Lord, speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you'll be glad to know that today, yes, we have a happy story with a happy ending. Genesis chapter 24 is undoubtedly meant to put a smile on your face and a spring in your step. 
It's the story of how Rebecca became Isaac's wife, and it is connected to the gospel of Christ in many ways. And the more I've looked at it this week, uh, the more I've become almost overwhelmed, really, with wonder at how the connections all continue to pour out of this Old Testament passage. This is about a marriage ordained by God and obtained by faith, and it teaches us lessons about God's providence and God's grace. Coming at the halfway point in the book of Genesis, it's also a moment of intergenerational change, as we saw in the kids' talk. And yes, Derek's kids' talk this morning certainly makes it easier for me to preach today. It was a wonderful summary of what we're looking at. There is an intergenerational change that's going on. Now, I want to say, in the chapter just before this one, Sarah dies and is buried. Okay, that's chapter uh, 23. Sarah dies and is buried. And so this is something that right at the end of our passage today that actually has been grieving Isaac over all this time. The death of his mother is something that he took very hard. And then on the other side of the passage in chapter 26, Abraham also dies, old and full of years. And then here in the middle, you've got Isaac. And what's going on in Isaac's life? Well, he's still a bachelor at the age of 40. He's single and 40. And if God's promises are to be filled, Abraham's beginning to think, Isaac, my son, had better get a move on and get married because this intergenerational change has to take place and Isaac needs a godly woman who can sustain him in his work and ministry. And then once Isaac is married, well, this is going to be the very first time in history that God's covenant is actually passed on from one generation to the next. The covenant was made with Abraham, and then the very first pass of the baton is to Isaac. And that's why some parts of this story are going to be retold two and even three times over. It's the longest chapter, actually, in the book of Genesis. You see, in the Old Testament, you can be sure that when the details of a story get repeated like this, it's because they're worth repeating. They're worth repeating and they want to be told over and over so that they go into our memory and into our hearts. Something big is going on here. It may be the story of a family marriage, and it's certainly that, but it's much more than that as well. This passage is about more than marriage. It's about God's covenant faithfulness to his people. It's about God keeping his oath to Abraham. This is a milestone moment in the history of God's people. It's wrapped up in a marriage, but this marriage is a very special marriage. The thing is, when Abraham dies, Isaac will become the head of the family. And as the head of the family, Isaac will have to carry that covenantal baton and pass it on to his son and his son and his son and his son, all the way down through the generations until at last it comes to Jesus Christ. Isaac then is the first of many links in a 1,700, 1,800-year-long genealogical chain. And by faith in Christ, we today have been linked in to that chain too. We've been redeemed. We've been adopted and we're now counted as members of God's family and heirs to God's promises to Abraham. We have become part of this family too. This wedding is in our family album. So today I want to share with you this happy story about Isaac's marriage. 
And after all the messy stuff we've had to go through the last few weeks, you know, the Sodom and Gomorrah stuff, the the sins of Lot and his daughters and the trial of Abraham's faith, even lifting the knife ready to slay his son, well, this makes for a pleasant change. This is a happy story. It's nice to sit back and enjoy God's blessings and celebrate his love. It is a foretaste of heaven. So what we've got is, an overview, it starts with Abraham's concern for Isaac as a loving father, that's in verses 1 to 9, and then it takes up the quest of the faithful servant to find a bride, that's in verses 10 to 27, after which comes the, the meeting with the family, you always need a meeting with a family, don't you, uh, verses 28 to 54, and then at last the union of the happy couple, verses 54 to 67. It's a big arc, there's a lot of verses in here, we're going to be going through it today, but you've just got these four points. Abraham's concern for Isaac, the quest of the faithful servant, the meeting with the family and the union of the happy couple. So let's get started. I want to begin with Abraham and his concern as a loving father. So verse 1, Abraham was now old and well advanced in years and the Lord had blessed him in every way. That's a summary of Abraham's life. As we saw last week, Abraham trusted in God's character and God's promises. He trusted him to the limit. He knew God personally and he believed that even if God should take his son Isaac away, well then God could still keep his promises by raising Isaac from the dead, if that's what it came to. And this was the ultimate test of Abraham's faith and we saw last week that he passed that test. And after this, God renewed the covenant and he sealed it with an oath in his own name. This is an unbreakable promise made by God in his own name. And he said to Abraham, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So that's a big promise and God is going to start working that promise out from one generation to the next. Okay, so now Abraham, the man of faith, is now old and well advanced in years, but there's still one more thing that he wants to do before he dies. He wants to find a wife for Isaac. Isaac needs a godly woman who will love him and support him and help him to fulfill his high calling as the covenant-bearing son. But where can such a woman be found? Where do you look? And the answer, first of all, is not in Canaan. Not in Canaan. As we saw in the kids' talk, ladies in Canaan might be going around their daily lives, but they are not followers of the Lord. And there is wisdom here that we should seek out as Christians somebody to marry who also knows and loves the Lord. I mean, think of what Abraham has seen to support him in this thinking. He's seen, Abraham has seen what a mess his nephew Lot made of his life in Sodom. He's seen Lot's life fall apart. He's seen God's judgment fall on the wicked cities of the plain. And he knows himself that God will one day give the land of Canaan to his descendants after him. So in answer to the question, where can I find a wife for Isaac? Abraham's reply is emphatic. Not in Canaan. Let not Isaac marry a Canaanite woman. 
Instead, Abraham reasons, he must find a wife from among his own relatives. For indeed, it seems that Abraham's relatives have a knowledge of the Lord. So here's the interesting thing. Despite him having left the city of Haran in obedience to God's call all those years before, Abraham's still in contact with his relatives who live some 800 kilometres up the north in Mesopotamia. They're a long way away, but there's still communication. And we know this because news of Rebekah's birth had already come to Abraham from Nahor's hometown. It was quite a few years before, but Abraham had been told, this is back in chapter 22, he'd been told that Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor. Uz, the firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Now, Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. So, he's heard Rebecca's name. He knows who her father is. And then was Abraham thinking of Rebecca as a suitable match for Isaac? Well, I have to say it's possible, but I don't quite think so, at least not in this case. I suspect Abraham would have said to his servant to go and find Rebecca if that was the case. But later on, I'm pretty sure he would have put the pieces of the puzzle together and thought how amazing that God had brought this relationship to be the one that Rebecca would be the one for his son Isaac. Abraham has one problem in all of this. He's now too old really to travel at his age. So instead of him going himself, he sends his faithful chief steward in his stead. Not a young man either, it would seem. He's the oldest of his servants. Most likely it's Eliezer of Damascus, who's mentioned back in Genesis chapter 15. His name's not mentioned here, but I'm going to use Eliezer for convenience. Otherwise I have to keep on saying the servant of Abraham. So I'm going to call him Eliezer today. And Eliezer took care of everything that belonged to Abraham. So here's the situation, okay? As readers, we've been given a sneak peek, haven't we? We already know about Rebecca because she's been name-dropped. She is the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. She's been name-dropped. And for us, the question now is, how will God do it? How will he bring this beautiful young girl to marry this fine young man, given the distance between them? How is he going to make it happen? How will he bring this covenant couple together? And it's a romance story. Don't you love a romance story? I know some people get addicted to watching the romance stories and uh, particularly the Korean ones and they, they just go on for episode after episode after episode. And even my grandma over in... Uh, grandmother-in-law in Singapore. She's got, you know, the, the telly going and, and there's episode 1053 and she's spinning through them all and it just goes on and on. A romance stories can be very, very uh, consuming of our interest. Well, this is the archetypal romance story. But Abraham's too old. So let's look at verse 2. Verse 2. He said to the chief steward in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, I'm going to call him Eliezer, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, 
that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom, I am, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. And the steward, of course, is happy to do this, but he has an immediate concern, which is, what if I can't keep the promise? What if I have to break my oath? So the servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Is that what you want me to do? If if she won't come here, should I bring him there? But at this, Abraham is even more insistent. Basically, under no circumstances whatsoever must Isaac ever go back there. I'd rather he marry a Canaanite woman than that. Because to leave the land of promise could be fatal for Isaac. Isaac needs to stay in the focus and the locus of where that promise is, which is the land of Canaan. So Abraham is very clear about this. Verse 6, Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised on oath, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. By taking this oath and by putting his hand under the thigh of his master, Eliezer is placing himself in the most intimate connection to Abraham's will. He's basically saying, I will do everything within my power, within my hand, because the hand is a symbol of power in the Old Testament. I'll do everything within my power to protect and preserve your seed, your offspring, and all the descendants who will come from the fruit of your loins. It's a very personal personal promise so he put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and he swore an oath to him concerning this matter I will do everything within my power as your servant to protect and preserve your seed and all the descendants who will come from the fruit of your loins and now the quest of the faithful servant begins And immediately Eliezer gets to work to go to Aram Naharaim to find a wife for Isaac. So my second point today, the quest of the faithful servant. Immediately Eliezer organizes a caravan of 10 camels and he packs them with the supplies necessary for the journey, the precious gifts for the future bride, the clothes, the ornaments, the jewelry. And then he begins that long 800-kilometer journey to the north, to Aram Naharaim. And I suppose it must have taken him several weeks to get there. But Eliezer is a man on a mission. Upon arriving, he made the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was now towards evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. Now this is interesting. Eliezer just happens to be at the right place at the right time to meet Rebecca. 
You stop for a minute, you ask, where else might a man have gone after such a long journey? Okay, I can see why he'd go to the well, but often it was the case that you would go to the town square and you would meet the men. And you would talk to the men. Maybe you'd talk to them. I'm Abraham's servant. I'm looking for his brother Nahor. Do you know where I can find him? You think he might have gone down that path. Or maybe he'd just call it a day and make a fresh start in the morning. That's what I would have done. Find somewhere to sleep. Start tomorrow. But Eliezer is a man on a mission. And that mission is to find a woman for Abraham's son. So he stops at the one place in town where all the hard-working young women are doing their daily chores. It's evening, the time when the women went out to draw water. He stops at the well. He's a smart man, man on a mission. But with so many women to choose from, Eliezer needs God's help. And this man is a man of prayer, isn't he? Every step of the journey, he's praying to the Lord. He's seeking the Lord's wisdom and guidance. Lord, will you show me which one of all these fine women is the right one for Isaac? Give me a sign, Lord. Give me direction. Verse 12, then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today. And show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one that you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown kindness to my master. It's a very specific prayer, isn't it? Very, very specific. I want to first of all make a comment about this word kindness. Show kindness to my master. This is a covenant word, okay? A very important word. It's appealing to God's heart. The very essence of his character as God. His covenant love and faithfulness. In the, in the Old Testament, the word is chesed, kindness. It's a, it's a love word. It's a compassionate, passionate word. It's also a gospel appeal, really. O Lord, that you would be the God of mercy and grace that I know you to be. Unlock the hope of humanity. Turn the key of the covenant. Show your steadfast love and faithfulness to Abraham. God's kindness in this context means his overflowing, his surprising, non-obligated generosity and love, his covenant love. Help me to find a wife for Isaac this day so that your covenant of grace and your blessings to the world will pass from one generation to the next. Help me to find a wife that is suitable for Abraham's offspring, Isaac. Can I say, I think that's why this prayer actually is answered immediately in the way it is, because this is about more than marriage. It is a prayer that fits a specific moment in salvation history because of who Isaac is. I want to suggest, please don't fall into the trap, I suggest, of thinking you can pray a prayer like this and find a partner in marriage just by praying Lord, uh, may it be when I say to a girl, can I have a drink? And she says, sure, and I'll water your camels too. That somehow she's going to suddenly fall into your arms and say, marry me. 
It doesn't normally work like this. You could be praying that a lot of times uh, before somebody actually does respond in that way. God doesn't normally work in answering prayers like this because it would actually put him to the test, wouldn't it? Time and time and time again. Lord, if you want me to do this, then make, make, the, uh, I don't know, make the, the apple fall from the tree on this side. But if you want me to do that, make it fall. So you're actually trying to control life by putting every decision in God's hands. He doesn't normally do that. He's given us common sense. He's given us gifts. We certainly pray for his will to be done. Uh, but having a specific prayer like this is done in times of particular urgency. And I've seen it on the mission field uh, where there's no doctor, where there's somebody dying, then you pray a specific prayer because there's no one else you can turn to. Now just be careful that you don't put God in the driver's seat of having to answer your every prayer this way. In this case, God, you see, has committed himself on oath to Abraham to uphold his covenant and Eliezer in this prayer is asking God to do exactly what he had promised to do for Abraham. The servant knows what God has promised and he prays accordingly that God would do it. So it is in verse 15. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder, and we all go, ah, Rebecca. Here she is. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. Now, the girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. And you can almost hear the angel singing at this point. You know, the ray of sunshine, boom, it comes out through the, through the clouds, and it's, it's lit upon Rebecca. The servant hurried, he literally ran. He ran to meet her and he said, please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. Well, what could possibly happen next, do you think? Perhaps some water for the camel, sir. You've got it. Verse 19, after she'd given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've finished drinking. Now the story moves along at a rollicking pace. You know, this is one of those, as I said, archetypal romance stories where you know how this is going to end. You know already where this is going. But hey, everyone loves a good romance. So verse 21, without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a nose ring weighing a becker and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. And then he asked the question, Whose daughter are you? Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son, of Mil the son Milcar bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord. He prayed. He gave thanks. Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on a journey to the house of my master's relatives. God has answered Eliezer's prayer, doing exactly what he promised to Abraham he would do. Eliezer is overjoyed. As a servant 
joyfully doing the work of his master, he rejoices in all that God has done. He gives thanks and praise to the Lord, and so should we when God answers our prayers, shouldn't we? When God gives us what we've asked for and he graciously supplies our need from his hand, we should be quick to worship God just like Eliezer has. The quest of this faithful servant is going splendidly. He's left Abraham, he's made the journey north, he's arrived in the town of Nahor, he's gone out to the well, he's met Rebecca, who happens to be in the family, and she invites him home to meet the family. So this is my third point, meeting the family. Rebecca runs to tell her family about what's just been told to her and when Laban, who's first mentioned here, Laban, her brother, hears about it, he runs back to invite this man, Eliezer, home and so begins the meeting with the family. Verse 31. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I've repaired the house and a place for the camels. So the man went back to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. So we're not, gonna, we're not even going to eat until I have shared this story with you, the family of Rebekah. Then tell us, Laban said. And with that, Eliezer starts to retell the whole story that we've already been looking at. In fact, half of our passage today is a repeat of what we already know. But it's good because it leads up to the moment when the family finally says yes. Yes to Rebecca marrying Isaac. Yes to the covenant promises of God. Yes to the joy of God's people. And the whole point of this passage can be summed up in one word. Yes. How do you get to yes? Everyone has to get to yes before Rebecca can marry Isaac. So how do you get to yes? What is needed now is a decision from Rebecca's family. And it's good when we get married, isn't it, to get the permission of the family and for the family to make sure that the children are happy with it too. I think one of the scariest meetings that I ever had as a man was going to ask my future Father-in-law and mother-in-law, can I marry your daughter? It's scary, but it's good, isn't it? It makes the connection, and that's what's happening here too. So I'm going to read this whole passage. You might think, oh, it's long. Don't worry. It's about telling the story and just enjoying it, and it leads up to the point where they say yes. I want you to say yes too by the end of this. I want you to be saying yes to this marriage, yes to all that God has in view because this again is about more than marriage. It's about God's covenant faithfulness to his people. It's about God keeping his promises to Abraham. This is a very, very big yes. So I'm going to read now from verse 34 to verse 51. Okay, he's arrived at the home. Laban has just said, Tell us your story. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, men servants and maidservants and camels and donkeys. My master's wife Sarah has borne him a son in her old age 
and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, you must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, what if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and from my father's family. Then when you go to my clan, you will be released from my oath. Even if they refuse to give her to you, you will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I have come. See, I'm standing beside this spring. If a maiden comes out to draw water and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels too. Let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered the jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, so I may know which way to turn. See, he tells the whole story in order to bring them to the point of decision. Will you say yes? Will you say yes? Now, Eliezer is a great salesman, isn't he? He's got the story to tell. He knows how to tell it. He's just a servant of the Lord, but he's so filled with the joy of what God is doing. Notice he doesn't simply ask them to agree but he asks them really to agree with God. And that's the power of what he's asking. Will you agree with God that Rebecca should marry Isaac? Can you really say no to this? Because if you say no to this, you're not just saying no to me, you're saying no to the one who I serve. So please tell me, what is your answer? Verse 50, Laban and Bethel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. You see, this is the Lord's will. We can't say no to this. The only possible answer is yes. So Rebecca's family say yes. And immediately Eliezer is in prayer again. He worships God. He blesses the family. He shares a meal. His mission's almost done. And I guess he must have slept well that night. And now all that remains is for Rebecca to say yes. So let's look at that now. This is the climax of the story, the union of the happy couple. Let's look at that now. So the next day, Abraham's servant wants to be on his way. 
Rebecca's family, they understandably, they understandably want her to stay for a little while, at least 10 days, so we can say our farewells. But he said to them, do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so that I may go to my master. And they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and they asked her, will, will you go with this man? And Very significantly, I will go, she said. I will go. I'm ready. Rebecca says yes. The family says yes. Everybody's saying yes. And so her family now send her on her way with warm words of blessing that echo the promises of God to Abraham. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. And so the journey completes. What we see in all of this telling of this story is that Rebecca is just the kind of woman that Isaac needs as a wife. She is a godly wife who knows the Lord, a wife who will love him and support him and help him through life to fulfill his high calling as the covenant-bearing son of Abraham. She is humble she is courageous, she is hard-working, she is diligent, she is beautiful, she is charitable to strangers, she is submissive to God's will. She is a perfect wife for Abraham's son. And truly, behind every good man is a good woman. So today's passage has been about generational change. That's why this marriage is so important. It's because Isaac and Rebecca are the covenant kids of a new generation who must faithfully bear the hope of God's people into the future. Although this has been a story about finding a wife for Isaac, it's about more than that as well. It's about fulfilling God's oath to Abraham and keeping the covenant promises alive so that the gospel will one day come to the nations, to people like you and me through Abraham's offspring. The gospel has been passed on and praise the Lord for that. As God's people today, we need to be thinking about these things too, don't we? And the question is, how will we pass the baton on to the next generation in our own church? It's one thing we need to be doing is to keep trusting in the Lord and prayerfully seeking his will for our lives. We need to seek God's blessing, certainly upon our families and our marriages. It's in the Christian home that little Isaacs and little Rebecca's will be raised up to become the next generation of covenant kids. Of course, God adopts those who don't yet know him into the family too, through evangelism and outreach. I might add to that that we need the courage to follow the Lord wherever he leads us. And Rebecca is an exemplary person in this regard. She, she responds so well to the message that is told her. In response to the invitation to become the wife of Isaac, she, she says yes. I mean, this is effectively the gospel in Old Testament terms. Think about it. She, she hears the promise of God. She believes in the covenant of grace. She takes the journey of faith and she marries the offspring of Abraham. She marries Isaac just as the church has become married to Christ. She is the archetypal bride of Christ. 
When Rebecca says yes to marrying Isaac, she did something that every believer still has to do today. We have to enter into that union with Christ that is reflected in marriage. We have to step out in faith and be united with our Lord Jesus. Just as she was united in marriage to her husband Isaac. And in so doing, she claimed a place in the history of God's people by becoming, as I said, the first wife of Abraham's first promised offspring. She was linked in to God's covenant family. And today, you and I have been linked in too. We're counted among Rebecca's offspring, among the thousands and thousands in the assembly of her family, which is the church, which is the bride of Christ. So this wedding is really a foretaste of heaven. Now let's see how this story ends, reading from verse 62. Now Isaac had come from Beer-Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming toward us? Here's my master, the servant answered. This is the first time that Eliezer has called Isaac his master. The story begins, he's calling Abraham his master. My master Abraham, my master Abraham, my master Abraham, my master Abraham, my master Isaac. The intergenerational change is happening before our eyes. He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil, took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife and he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. In the union of Isaac and Rebekah, we can see a remarkable picture of the union of Christ with his bride, the church. I mean, think of it. If we compare Rebekah with the church, then both were chosen for marriage before they knew it. Both were destined to share in the glory of the Son. Both learned of the Son through a representative who shared the promises of God with them. And both must leave their past behind to go and be united with the Son of promise. As we finish up today, I've got four points I'd like to suggest we can learn and apply today. Four points. First of all, generational renewal. Every year is another year. We all need to be thinking about generational renewal. We do it in our families. We need to do it as church as well. How will we pass on the baton to our next generation? Like Abraham, we need to take steps to ensure that the ministry doesn't die with us. So please pray for new elders in our church. Pray for intergenerational ministries. Pray for the growth of outreach and evangelism in Burwood. And if you've got a heart from evangelism, I'd like to speak with you. We perhaps need to do some more training and planning so that we can be effective in outreach in Burwood. Pray for God's blessing in our families and in our marriages. Pray for parents in our church, that they will be able to disciple their kids in the knowledge and love of Jesus. And pray that God will lead you personally to the ministry that he would have you to serve in, so that intergenerational change can proceed. How are you passing on the gospel baton today? 
Secondly, be the faithful servant. I mean, this man I've called Eliezer in our passage today, what a man of prayer, what a godly servant of the Lord. Love the master, commit to the call like he did. In so many ways, Eliezer is an ideal ministry worker. He loves Abraham, his master, and he is a willing servant. When Abraham calls, he comes. When Abraham sends, he goes. And he rejoices about being about his master's business. More than that, he is a herald of God's covenant. He is a bearer of good news. He is an evangelist. He is a missionary. He is a steward of God's promises. And when his work is done, I think he deserves to be highly commended. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so I challenge you today to be the faithful servant today. How are you serving the Lord personally in your life? Thirdly, getting to yes. What if you're not a Christian today? You need to be linked in too, don't you? How are you in your relationship with the Lord? My question here is, are you linked in to God's family? Are you united with Christ? Now, Rebecca's marriage to Isaac provides a pattern for every Christian today. It's ordained by God, but it's obtained by faith. You have to go. You have to make the promise and you have to go. When Rebecca made up her mind to leave her family and to become Isaac's wife, she said, I will go. That was her exercise of faith. And that's the decision we all need to make. I will go. I will follow Jesus. I will get to yes by believing in the gospel and putting my trust in Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Saviour. And finally, might I say, being the bride. You might think this applies to women only, but I don't think so. I think this applies to men and to women because we are all in Christ considered to be his bride. It's a wonderful thing. We are all sons of God and we are all brides of Christ or part of the bride of Christ. And God provided a fitting wife for his son Isaac and so he'll provide a fitting son, a fitting bride for Christ and we are that bride. So as Christians we can learn from Rebecca's example today how to honour and serve Christ in our lives. Take note of her character, how she was humble, courageous, hard-working, beautiful, charitable to strangers, submissive to God's will. And these are qualities that we can emulate ourselves as we serve Christ in our own lives, particularly as wives, but to each one of us as servants of the Lord. And finally, as we do so, let us rejoice in the love and faithfulness of God our Saviour, who is indeed wonderful in our eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's been a long journey today. Help us to go home blessed. Lord, if you want us to be like the servant, more like the servant, then help us to do that. If you want us to be like the bride, help us to trust you and to honour you in every part of our lives. Help us to love you and honour you and enjoy you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.